So welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by another incredible panel of guests, and today we're talking about veterans. It's another emotive subject, but you should all know by now that we pride ourselves on open and honest, sensitive conversations that really aim to bring insight. And if anyone deserves the stage, it's the incredibly brave and inspirational men and women who have sacrificed pretty much everything so the rest of us can live freely and authentically. So welcome Adebayo, Zuri, and Daniel, who are going to be sharing their insights with us today. Let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify, starting with you, Zuri? Hi, my name is Zuri Peterson. I am a CEO and co-founder of Mary Bell Solutions, a logistics consulting firm for small to medium-sized businesses. I identify as an African-American woman, and I have the pronoun she and her. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for being with us today. And next is Adam Bio. Can you tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Oh, yeah. My name is Adibayo Adeleke. I am um, I'm a veteran. I identify as a veteran and I've been, I was in the Army uh, for 20 years, retired. 2018, I started my own consulting firm, Adibayo Adeleke LLC, where we, just like Zuri, where we seek to uh, help uh, <clears throat> improve value in a small business supply chain, but most importantly in the area of risk management and government contracting. Uh, so we've been doing it for quite some time now. So we're getting our feet wet really well. And the COVID actually really amplifies some of our works. And uh, also, I mean, yeah, I've already said I identify as one uh, old grumpy veteran, uh, but that one is one. And secondly, uh, he, he and him, yes, those are my pronouns. Uh, so I think that that's about it. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Daniel, last but absolutely not least, tell us who you are for those that don't know who you are and uh, what you do and how you identify. Hey, sir. Well, thanks for having me. It, it, um, this is going to be a fun conversation. So I'm Mr. Supply Chain. That, that's what everybody knows me as. But um, you know, I, I love I love starting the conversation with who are who are you really sort of behind the persona? And, and the truth is, I, I'm a husband, I'm a father. Very much a, a, a Navy veteran, probably not quite as crusty as Adebayo, um, and uh, a he and a him. <laughs> I love that. And you guys all kept it short and sweet because I know you just want to get your, your, your chomping at the bit to get into this conversation because there's so much to talk about. So I'd like to start by talking about your personal experiences. I mean, we're proud to have so many veterans on the panel today and this truly is all about you so we want to hear from you first so the first question i have for you what was your experience in the is the armed forces the right word to say because i think that we've got a bunch of different aspects right yeah armed forces is all uh, all encompassing yeah. so that's probably okay best. good yeah. i want to make sure that i'm using the yeah, right no, no, vocabulary you're, you're as well for this. <laughs> And, and, and I would say armed forces or military is maybe, you know, another kind of generic one that rolls off the tongue. Okay. So what was your experience in the armed forces or the military, your role, responsibility, and some memories? So Adebayo, I'm going to start with you, then we'll go to Daniel and then Zuri. I'm the wrong person to start with because I'm quite <laughs> long-winded about my roles. You know, I've yeah, it's, it's never ending. I don't want to hold the bandwidth for this conversation, but actually, anyways... So, um, 
my experience, wow, it's been my experience. Actually, I, I I came in the army. I joined when I was seventeen, and I retired when I was grown man. So my adult life, I pretty much spent in the military. So I really don't know much. So everything I do now, it have to be you know always find his foot in the military. So uh, you can that can tell that should be able to tell you about my experience. But you know, I I joined the military just to go to college to. You know, finish after four years of my commitment. I take the you know GI Bill. That was GI Bill. Then be all you can be. You know, uh, for some people that were alive during that time, will understand exactly that. You know, so uh, to join and I, but I when I when I joined the military, I found <clears throat> I found a, a community. I found brotherhood. I found a group of people that you know that you know all sign up for a cause that is greater than themselves. And that is for me. I, I found a place. I found I found a safe place. So when I, you know, I promised my parents to return back home, but I tried to call them like, uh, that ain't happening again. Um, I think I'm going to go this on the long road. I re-enlisted and life begins, you know, I, you know, I didn't, when I joined, when they told me I'm going to be automated logistics specialist, so what is that? Never heard the word logistics before. That was 1990, 1998, you know, and uh, I really, you know, it's been a, it's been a profound journey. You know, I met people from different walks of life. I walk it tents and tents of countries around the world, uh, you know, for global war on terror as when they were fighting it. You know, now it's, it's in past times now. Uh, I mean, walk in different countries, meet different people, you know, extreme, the melting pot, the military, the U.S. military, as I know it, is a melting pot for different cultures. So you have the opportunity to learn so much. So people are like, how do you know so much about different parts of the world? It's because you live with people, you travel around the world. Traveling is the best form of education for me. And so I got really educated by traveling with the military, learning the stuff. I always tell people. When I became an officer, because I was an enlisted and I transitioned to be an officer, you study wars a lot. You study wars, like when you do planning, you study wars. And when you study wars, you immerse yourself in it like you are part of it. And you begin to learn languages, you begin to learn different cultures. So when you when you do so much study, what like have you ever been in China before or Japan? I was like, uh, yes, in some countries, but in some countries I haven't. But why do you know so much about their culture and their and their rituals? Because I study the wars. You know, people just don't understand these things. Uh, I've worked in different countries, live. I've moved over twenty times. Wow! Careers. I've um, I spent out of twenty years. I spent twelve years outside my house. Uh, either training or traveling, so only 80 years and I count for, I can only account for 80 years of staying with my family. Wow. So my, there's a running joke that I'm a part, I'm a part-time daddy. There's a running <laughs> joke in, in my circles that I'm, I'm a part-time dad, but I really enjoy my time. It really defined who I am as a person, my personal virtues and my personal uh, values are actually mirrored out of the army because that's how I grew up in. You know, I grew up in a community, you know. So even I'm retired right now, there's still a lot of military mannerism that is very deeply rooted in me. You know, you wow. often have to catch myself like this. But it's, it's, a, it's a melting pot. Who I am today is a, is a function of my experience in the military and always will be, you know. And I, I don't think I can do it. It's about 20 years of my life, my whole adulthood. I'm only 41. So imagine half of my life is so spending the U.S. military. So you can, so you can really, you know. Uh, but everything I've learned and continue to learn is is basically rooted 
in the wow. military. And I really enjoy my time. And the people that were so passionate about it, like, why did you retire? So there's always a time for everything. There's a time for me to, to join the military and there's time for me to go down to actually create value in what mm-hmm. I've been my experience in it. So I have, I mean, we have our ups and downs. I have my, I've got married in the military. I have my kids in the military. I mean, I mean, pretty much, all, I mean, everything I am. Everything. It was given to me. I mean, I got all my, I did my bachelor's, three masters, a PhD, all in the military. So you, you can't, uh, that's, I mean, who I am and the function I am has been part of it. So military has been great to me. And I believe I've been great in the military as well, at least. <laughs> so, uh, but I've enjoyed my time. Yes, we have some good times, great times. Yeah. You have some bad times. You have some sour times. You know, I've lost brothers in combat. I've lost a lot of people. And, I, you know, so the military that was good to me in the, during my good times always, you know, you know, there were bad time as well. So, you know, you can't, you can't have, you can't just take one side and leave the rest. And it's right. always like that. So I've really, really, uh, you know, I mean, Let's supply chain as I know it, it came from the military. And actually, this, go to the history of supply chain. Let's not even go to supply chain. We go to the history of supply chain, not starting the military. So let's, I mean, we want to get the background of the full gist of it. So, <laughs> and, and for me, as I consult, as I move from companies to the other to create value for them, a lot of those lessons that I learned in the military. Actually, the risk management, I look in supply chain and everything, like how, why is the risk management model different? And because it's a military management, the uh, risk management process that I, yeah. I kind of commingle with a with the tenant or supply chain is kind of different. I'm like, wow, this is it's completely different from what you've ever seen. Is because the module is unique because I brought experience and knowledge from the military, kind of kind of intertwining with the supply chain uh, modules, and it makes a completely different outcomes. I so, love that. So that is. Uh, that is uh that is who I am and Thank you. my experience so far. So I, I really I, this is just the short version, by the way. If you want the long version, <laughs> that's okay. We gotta get to Daniel and Zuri too. But I love that because you you lived it and you're still living it because it instilled so many things for you. And there were so many transitions within your life that you experienced within the military. Yes. And now you're taking what you experienced there and you're bringing it into civilian life as well. So Daniel, tell us about your experience what what did that look like what were your roles what are maybe even some of your memories yeah you know it's so funny i just i I, listening to adebayo i'm just thinking about how many um how much the military experience shapes us and it's true for all of us you know the truth is when you join the military nobody joins the military as an old person very few right maybe a handful of like doctors um, but but most of us go in when when we're young and we're impressionable. And so it shapes us. It, it shapes us as people. It shapes us as professionals. And, and whether it's four years or 20 years, that's such a um, uh, an influential time or a, a time that, that, that we're um, maybe a, a bit more malleable. Um, and so, you know, those things that, that Adebayo was talking about is, you know, you're connected to a higher purpose. Um, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot is um, everybody in the military uh, learns about leadership, right? It, it comes with the job. But perhaps more importantly, everybody learns about followership, right? You start off learning about followership and then develop leadership skills from there. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is the the issue of diversity, because, you know, 
by and large, we get thrown into a group of people that come from very different backgrounds. You don't you don't have anything in common. And, and for a lot of us, it's the first time in your life that you're actually forced into a community where nobody has any connections with anybody else. And, and so, you know, you, you create a team from scratch. Um, and, and, and then that happens several times uh, through your career that you get thrown into brand new teams where, you know, maybe there's some uh, established rapport before the folks, between the folks before you get there, but you get inserted into new teams. Hmm. Um, and that just becomes part of, part of the, the culture and, and part of the, the experience and part of who we are. And I think about then how that translates, you know, later into to life that for, you know, um, for for military folks, I think you know transferring between companies, joining new teams, getting put onto projects, um, is actually kind of a natural thing because we've done that for the most part during our careers. Right. So I for for me those are those are the things that um, you know I I think were really important about my um, what what I experienced in the in the Navy and you know what I took away from that and carried with me into the, the rest of my career was, you know, be, being um, forced to adapt to completely new situations with groups of people that have really no connections to each other or to me. And, you know, for, for um, you know, when we think about pulling, when we think about the challenges that a lot of companies face around diversity, it's almost the the opposite of that, right? The the problem a lot of companies struggle with diversity is they don't know how to bring in people that aren't like them. They don't know how to bring together teams of people that are different. And that's something that that everybody that joins the military figures out, um, you know, certainly for enlisted folks in boot camp. Yeah, like day one, right? You're here, guess what? <laughs> amazing, amazing. Zuri, over to you. What were your experiences like? Do you have some memories that you want to share with us? <laughs> Yeah, so my introduction to the military started when I was a kid. I was a military brat. My dad, uh, both of my parents were in the military. My mom got out um, at the, after the Gulf War. Um, both of my parents deployed at the same time, and they came back and were like, okay, we can't do this. So, um, so it started then, and I swore up and down that I would never join the military because I hated moving because, you know, you're a kid. <laughs> and I hated every three years knowing, like, oh, I got to start back over again only to get to college. Um, you know, I was in college from 2006 to 2010, you know, during, you know, 2008 happened while I was in college. And that kind of put the fear of, holy crap, like, there's not going to be any jobs whenever I graduate. Right. Um, so uh, my dad actually worked at the university that I was, he was a professor of military science at ROTC. And he kept, well, you should just come over and just get to see, you know, we can, like let the military pay for college and you'll have a job. And so I finally gave in because I was tired of asking my parents for money and having to prove my hard work. Or whatever. <laughs> um, and so I took the scholarship and got the ROTC stipend and I fell in love. Um, the thing that I said that I would hate the most and never wanted anything to do with became the thing that gave me the career that I'm extremely passionate about. And, you know, I did four years of active duty, like I stated, um, whenever we first hopped on and, you know, the May of 2010, I'm graduating, walking across the stage, excited about what the career could do for me. The next May, I'm in Iraq. Wow. <laughs> so well, yeah. just like, Get so that was, like, yeah. yeah, like it happened, you know, it hit fast reality. And so I'm meeting my first platoon. I'd gone to my officer training. 
met my platoon in Iraq, my platoon sergeant in Iraq, my first company. I never led anyone. I'm out here responsible for kids. <laughs> so it was a passion that I fell in love with. And then it taught me responsibility and matured me very, very quickly. Um, and you know, I did my four years and I said, hey, I'm going to be done with this. I'll do, you know, I just wanted to fulfill my what I promised Uncle Sam that I would give him. And then only to get out in June of 2014 to be right back in the reserves in August because I couldn't take not having structure in the world. <laughs> so like I was never going to. I dyed my hair red after I got out the back of duty. I was like, I'm never doing this again. Only to like, okay, I gotta have some sort of structure. So once a month I can get some structure and then I can go back and thrive um, in the real world. But yeah, it just gave me this passion and this love and um, just like the both of the other panels have said like it gave me access to diversity you know as a military brat because I had to move every three years I met people from all over the world who were stationed all over so the things that they learned in Germany they were bringing to Fort Leavenworth or to Fort Stewart or or to Quantico or my dad was in the Pentagon so I got to meet all these things and got these life skills that you know when I got to college there are folks who had never met anyone outside of their towns. <laughs> right. So it was, it just, it just opened my, my, my aspect of the world. and just, just made me think of greater possibilities that are available. And that's why I focused, I was like, Hey, I want to make sure small businesses get all of these lessons learned that I've learned from my military brat years, from being in the military myself and now transition to the outside world so that they can thrive as well. Because, you know, we did learn that leadership. We learned how to follow <laughs> but we learn how to meet people where they are. And that's where I want to meet the small businesses that I deal with is you meet them where they are so they can compete in this very vast world. Absolutely. I love that story. It gave me a little bit of goosebumps just because, you know, <laughs> you really talk about how you were very much against it twice. <laughs> and then still because of your love of it fell back into it or went back into it or went into it. Mm -hmm. And you transitioned really nicely because I want to talk about life. Obviously this episode is about veterans. And I want to talk about life after the armed forces or the military, because uh, when I was doing research for this episode, an estimated 200,000 veterans are expected to leave active duty since service this year and re-enter civilian work life. And I think that unfortunately there can be a big disconnect between the two. You know, we talk about veterans being rehabilitated or reinvigorated or reintegrated into civvy life and it could cause nervousness on both sides, which can really be seen in the workplace. So I want to ask you all for your experience of transitioning into civilian life. Maybe you've got some, some tips for those that are listening. And I also want to ask you, why do so many veterans really struggle to find employment or are forced to take or accept underemployment? So, um, Daniel, do you want to start that one for us? Oh, yeah. I, th I mean, this is such a huge space, right? I know. At, um, and so a bunch of stuff. So one thing I, I want to point out, so that I, the, the 200,000 number sounds about right to me. Um, I, I, I haven't seen the statistic, but, but I'll, I'll take it at face value. But, but the way you described it as, um, you know, people leaving the, the military and reentering the workforce. And, and the thing that gets lost is, is actually a lot of those people may have never been in the workforce, or if they were, it was so long ago that whatever they did there is, is um, it, how do I say this? 
you forget how to find a job. You forget how to network with people because when you're in the military, there is so much of that stuff that you just, you never have to think about. Right. Um, at a bio, I think you, you, you said um, you, you got married when you were in the military, you had kids when you were in the military, you know, most people, when they're thinking about these big life events, um, you know, you're thinking about health insurance and paying the bills. And when you're in the military, all that's just taken care of. You just go to the hospital, you get it, you, you walk home with a baby, you never see a bill. Um, when it's time for you to change jobs, you get a message saying, actually, you get a set of orders, right? It, it, it's not a request, it's not an invitation, it is a set of orders telling you what your new job is, when you need to be there, <laughs> right? Um, and then there's some processes in place that can help you get there. Totally different than the way we get jobs in the civilian world, right? right? You never get a set of orders for your next job after the military. You've got to go find it. And so, you know, if you've if if you haven't used tools like LinkedIn, if you haven't been out building a professional network, by the way, when you're sitting in Iraq, really hard to build a professional network with anybody that isn't sitting with you in Iraq, okay. right? So all these things that are that are, you know elements of what professionals in the civilian world use to manage their careers, right? You build a professional network, you leverage some of the online tools, you you engage with your local professional community. Um, those are all assets that that very often either veterans aren't aware of or don't have access to and 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 aren't useful or necessary when you're in the military. So, I mean, there's that piece of it. It's just being honest about the fact that it is a totally different process. The next thing that I've just run into a lot is folks in the civilian world that haven't been in the military really have a hard time bridging the gap and having, you know, a professional conversation to, to you know, identify candidates who, who have skills and experience that are relevant. Like, so I, I was a, a Navy guy, you know, we, we had ratings. So you asked me what my job in the Navy was. I was a yeoman. Um, that's like an old English word to write that that's carried forward through tradition. Um, Zuri, you were an officer, but at a bio, I bet you could tell me what your MOS was. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and in the civilian world, it, it that's meaningless. So, so I think, um, you know, one of the big challenges that I've seen is very well-intentioned civilians who just don't understand because they've never experienced it. And that, to me, by the way, Sarah, is is where veteran recruiting and veteran engagement really becomes a diversity issue yeah. because it's it, it's this cultural chasm that, like, everybody wants to bridge. But it's hard to do if you don't have that common experience. Well, and I think one of the most important things that you said there is that there are transferable skills, but they're Mm. not identifiable on either Mm -hmm. side necessarily, right? So Mm -hmm. the veteran doesn't necessarily know what their transferable skills may or may not be to a certain position. And then to the HR professional or the business professional, whoever (laughs) is doing the hiring doesn't necessarily know how to translate what is on paper as a transferable skill into that particular position. Is that right? 
Absolutely. And and one of the questions that, that you asked early on was, you know, why is it that so many veterans end up either not being able to find a job or having to take a step back in their career to enter the civilian workforce? And I think that's a big part of it. It is yeah. that, you know, there are things that you just don't do in the military that's that a counterpart in the civilian world would have done at that same point in their career. And yeah. so when you make the tradition for the transition from one silo to another, you actually have to take a, a step back because you, you don't have those skills. You don't have that experience. Um, are there other ways to get it besides OJT? Yeah, probably. But, you know, a lot of times I think the kind of the, the simplest answer in that equation ends up being, you know, you may have been at this level in the military, um, but, you know, in order to come over to the civilian side, you're going to have to take a couple of steps back. And, and that means you're going to be behind your, your peers uh, who were doing similar jobs and following a similar career path outside of the military. Well, and you're probably both speaking English, but you're speaking two very different languages, which is yeah. very interesting. Mm -hmm. Zuri, do you, I see you nodding your head. Do you want to yeah. add anything to what Daniel's saying? I feel this, this, <laughs> I struggled. So even though I was on active duty for four years, you know, you're always told, especially, I don't know, I can't speak to the enlisted side, but the officer side, it's like, you get, you have all the skills, you have your degree already, like you're in leadership. So, you know, the jobs will just be plentiful whenever it comes out. That wasn't the case. <laughs> I got out, like before I got out, I was just like, please, someone, like, just give me a job, <laughs> like anyone. And I ended up getting uh, my first job was at a warehouse here in Atlanta I moved to Atlanta from Alabama from Fort Rucker um you know I got a supervisor position which you know I was just like oh, I don't know like supervisor seems like I am taking a step back so I do have that experience but okay I'll do it and then the thing that I struggled with because you know I come from you know the officer you know enlisted or people that work are reporting into you it's kind of like yes ma'am hey if you say this yes ma'am that's it and there's no questions you know what I mean <laughs> like I you know I vetted it they just take orders they march report back when it's done hey, I'm like hey we need to get you know inventory done we got to do inventory on these many items in the warehouse and it's all this well why why do we have to do this why do we? and it's just like why are you I'm not asking for your feedback. I just want you to go do it. But that was the biggest struggle. One of the reasons I joined the reserves is like, oh my gosh, like I have to, like, oh, why is this happening? Um, and so, and that just stayed with me knowing that, that, you know, the things that we're told is, as as many skills and things that we learn in the military. And it is that, um, think that difference of language on how that pivots and then actually making the transition just because we come from so much structure and then whenever you step out of that structure to organizations that mm, they are structured but not like not like you are if that makes sense um kind of not unless you've been kind of been forced to be for so many years and having to step out of that and have to learn how to be flexible was the the biggest the struggle. And I still struggle with it now. Even I have my own company. I still struggle with being flexible. Um, so I think like having that ability to to be open, to be um, to work, wanting to um, include everyone in decision making and knowing that people do have lives and people do come from different backgrounds and making sure you make room for that, but also focusing on in on the task. So that's interesting because when Daniel and Adebayo were talking about their experience, they were talking about how adaptable you need to be, 
And you're now talking about how you struggle with flexibility. And so there's a very big difference between adaptability and flexibility. And I, that I think. Yeah. And also might be because I'm extreme type A as well. Well, you know, that might have something to do with it, but not all of it. And then my other question to you really quickly before I go to add a bio is imposter uh, syndrome part of this for the veteran coming out of the military or the armed forces going into civilian Yes, they might be taking a step back, but is imposter syndrome sometimes an issue when you're going to apply for a job? Yeah, because, you know, you you get so propped up sometimes in the military. And so whenever you have to make that decision, like, okay, if I'm going to make this transition, I am going to have to take a step back. But then whenever you're out in the world, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm not really prepared. Like, all I know is how to go to a range. Um, (laughs) I know how to do PT and really well. And I can read that technical manual to make sure the task gets done. What you're asking me to do is to step outside of that. And it can be overwhelming. And I think that's why a lot of veterans end up going to, you know, they'll, they'll take, you know, more of a step down and say, I'll just take the hourly job. I can't take the salary, but even though I know I might be qualified for it, but you know, this won't put that much responsibility. And then, you know, then we end up running into them when we get into the leadership and supervisor positions. Like, why aren't you a supervisor here or manager? Because I've seen your resume and they're just like, it's just too overwhelming. The thought of not being able to, you know, to transition. Interesting. Thank you so much for that. And Adebayo, I'm going to go go to you to maybe add on to what they're saying, but I also want to ask you why you think some organizations are reluctant to maybe hire veterans. Is there is there, you know, maybe a prejudice there? We've talked about, you know, speaking a different language, but let's also talk about it from from that point of view. There's a lot to unpack. This question is very, very loaded. That's so why we much, talk for a long time. So, so <laughs> much, so much to unpack here. So I, I, I will answer it to the best of my ability as much as, and I will kind of use my, uh, my situation as you know. I spent 20 years in the military. It's a lifetime. It's a life. It's like a whole baby can be born and become an adult in that process. And then you, you know, so, uh, you know, coming out of the military. Uh, as a veteran and having your own business, I already knew before I myself is I'm an anomaly. So I already knew what I want to do when I get out. Because during my networking process, you know, try to get out of the military, I understand that the way these folks outside the military think is completely different. <laughs> the commercial world, as we call it, and the military world is a completely two different world entirely. You know, I always tell people, when I came from, you know, I was born and raised, I spent my formative years in Nigeria. When I came to the US, I did not... I came from came to the U.S. and I joined the military. That being said, my Americanization process doesn't really start until I got out of the military because the military in its own self, its own culture, is its own world entirely. Right. You know, after the time what we speak of and how we speak, though we might be inside the in the United States, but we're completely two different world. You know, and often there's a different culture, is a different language. And I'll tell you a prime example: things that people charge for money that when you get out of the military things that is something that we do like with no question asked you know like i'll give you advice sure no what do you think that's it you don't have to charge for anything it's you know there's certain things that happen when you join the military it's called programming when they join the military, because you need certain mindset to fight the nation wars and to win the nation wars, you need somebody that is that is going to obey orders. You need somebody that is very selfless. 
that can actually do certain things. It's a life of service. So now, so imagine that, just put that into, just kind of let that ruminate, let that sit down a bit. You know, having that kind of lifestyle, working every morning, checking up on your bodies, having a battle body, doing all these kind of things, all these this little, little stuff, right? The way you see things is different. You know, somebody's, your body is drunk, you pick the person up. You know, you don't even ask. It's, you just go into that thing. When you're in combat, mm-hmm. you fight not because even when you, you know, you fight because of the person next and next and, uh, next to you to make sure that we all come home. That selfless service, that life of service is very, very hard. And I'm telling you for somebody that I've gone through the process, it's very hard to turn that thing off. Because you've been programmed right. that way over the course of time to turn it off and then become a profit machine is mm-hmm. a very is a, a very different wow. it's a very different process and entirely and you throughout your yeah. life you might struggle with it you might actually struggle with it like, why should I charge for this you know somebody just need the help because this is what you do in the military that's why like like Dan was saying. Half of what we go through that most people pay or pay for in the civilian world, we don't pay for it in the in the military. So yeah. when you get out, you feel like, why are they paying for this? Why am I you charging me for this? Why are you charging me for that? You know, it's it's a very it's a very it's a very awkward thing, but you get used to it. And oftentimes, when you go through the military, if you spend enough time, oftentimes people do cannot articulate how much you've actually you yourself cannot even articulate what you're capable of doing. You'll okay. be surprised. You cannot articulate what you're capable of doing. Because oftentimes they use all these big words. Can you do this? Can you do that? Like, obviously, you probably have gone into it. Because military actually mirrors what goes on in the, in the commercial world. Most people don't even know this. The structure in the commercial world is actually from the military. When you hear the word division, when you hear the word headquarters, when you hear the word department, they're all words, buzzwords, and all these acronyms actually transition from the military to the classic management that we that we see it in the world today. Hmm. All this stuff that you see is actually the same thing in the military. Oftentimes, it doesn't matter. And I think I have been the greatest thing I think that's worked out for me is like transition is the fact that I'm able to do the knowledge transfer from what is in the military. Okay. Half of the time, I look at this particular situation, it's like, hey, how is this related to something I've seen in the military before? Once I can solve it in the military, you can be rest assured it's already solved in the commercial world. And that's how I, I'm wired. Because when I look at a situation and a problem set, what do we have here? This is what we have here. Have I encountered this problem before in the military? Yes, I have. How did I solve it? This I'll just apply the same situation and it's solved. Problem solved. It's the same thing. There's a parallel universe. It's just different. You know, and that is how I look at it. But oftentimes, a lot of our veterans have not been able to transition. And the military has spent so much time in the transition effort. So just for live and all these kind of, all those uh, programs out there, writing resumes, great. But turning a war machine, a warrior, into somebody that was a profit-making machine is an endeavor that can take a whole lifetime. Militaries, military, I mean, soldiers, sailors, airmen alike, Marines, they are equipped with the best knowledge. Like Dan said, you whatever you're doing, your uh, your MOS, your specialty is one thing. Leadership is another. You do this thing like leadership is the second nature. Followership is the second nature. So imagine how, why wouldn't you want something, somebody of that nature within your ranks, in your commercial right. But oftentimes, is that people so commercial world don't even understand what the military or the military folks actually possess, and even military themselves don't even know what they're capable of because you've been through so much in your military career. You 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 can do so much without you even knowing. So a lot of things who's out of you unknowingly. 
that the, the, this commercial world or civilian world cannot even fathom. So oftentimes, the articulation of your capability is the number one problem. Resume for resume is one thing, but articulation, what you can do, you know, and oftentimes mm-hmm. what goes on in the civilian world, like LinkedIn, I when I started going, I was like, ah, I need to get to this uh this tech stuff, you know. For example, uh when I was in Jordan, I know this other part of deployment that I go to the, I mean it's flat out told us you should not be found on white pages. It is, I mean, you should somebody should not because you interact with so many people, you don't even know who loves you, who doesn't, you know. So right. you don't want to put your name out there. You shouldn't be on Google and they search for your name and it pop up. You shouldn't. Okay. It should not. Right. It's a, you think it's about a, it differently. It's an yeah. upset issue. It's an upset issue. You shouldn't. So now you're telling me living this life with no digital footprint. Now I have to come to a digital world whereby mm. I need to type your name on the Google and able to be able to, your rap sheet should be there. You know, right. it's, 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 it's very, very difficult. So now for me, I have to do double the work. For some of you guys that have been in the in LinkedIn and everything for so long, I have to do double the work to be able to catch up. Like, you know, you know, in the world, likes and connection are the currency of digital world, you know? So, but in the world I come up with, I might actually know the same as you know, but because I don't have, no, nobody's going to listen to me, right. you know? So ability to be able to curate those things. So for now, all the... I don't have, I mean, to 2018, I'd never had any digital food, digital footprint. Yeah. And now you're telling me to start all of a sudden. And then comfortability. I can remember many times I've been in several operations and they asked me to come and talk or write something. Now I'll tell them, I'll refer them to our public affairs office because I am not capable by the standard to actually do that. So like, imagine you have the same guys I've been working for 20 years. Oh, wow, so much digital footprint. Like, wow, wow, wow. I'm like, well, well they look at me like, what's, what's up with you? I'm like, what I've done, you can't even put it out there. And now you're asking me to have the same footprint. How will I replicate that overnight? You know, and all these things, all these nuances and events, singular, dual event as it may be, has a way of shaping your narrative of even oftentimes a lot of military and veterans oftentimes, you know, deem themselves inadequate to be able to function in the in the civilian world. And oftentimes they take less, more than I, I can guarantee a lot of my colleagues will tell you once they retire, they will take a very easy job and they will just who's into the sunset. You know, because it's just because of, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of determination to be able to say, you know what, I want to operate at the same level at which I did in the military, in the civilian world. I mean, look at a lot of bridges. You have to look at a lot of gaps. You have to fill to get there. LinkedIn is one of them, Uh, you know, social media and all this stuff. And comfortability in front of social media. I I don't know if it was on your your podcast or so. I have to say, I have to be comfortable that I am actually talking to the world in the media because this is not something we do. I remember my first stuff I did on social media and people were calling me, my battle buddies like, Baya, are you okay? Why are you on social media? And I'm like, <laughs> I am okay. You know, why are you doing this on social media? I mean, you know, people on TikTok, I'm not even, I'm not like, look guys, I'm trying to figure out this LinkedIn and everything. TikTok is way out there. It's way like world, there. world beyond. <laughs> You know, so you have to, the comfortability of these things really matters, you know, and you have to understand the the, the nature of being a, a military man or woman is a, is a, is a nature and is a, is, a, is a diversity issue. You know, you have to be able to create those niche for people that are coming from those backgrounds to fit in within yeah. the organization because we are different and we, and we know it. 
Well, and you have to be un- you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because everything that you're talking about there is taking a step into the uncomfortable at every single turn. So from what Zuri was saying is, you know, it can be overwhelming. Yes. And I and thank you so much for breaking that down because now we can really see at every turn it really is overwhelming. Some of the things that you did talk about though are great soft skills, yeah. right? But veterans going into a conversation with somebody may not understand how to translate that, you know, for a position within a company. And we talked about transferable skills, but then you also talked about knowledge transfer. So not only are are the skills um, hard to translate over, but there's also the knowledge transfer. How do you data dump everything that you've done, everything that you've experienced? Because I would assume that, yes, you specialize in certain things, but you're also kind of a jack or a jill of all trades. And so, you know, there's specific skills from specific different things that you've done that can go for that particular job. But like you said, it's hard to articulate. And I would assume with the great, the soft skills that you do have, um, that you talked about, you might also be taken advantage of in the workplace as well, which is something that we all need to be cognizant of because those are things that you do without thinking and for free and people could potentially take advantage of that. Daniel, sorry, I had, I had to unpack all of my thoughts from what Before you call on Diana, Sarah, (laughs) I need to chip in real quick. Uh, Anytime you manage people, anytime people are involved, is a different skill set. And I think most military folks, if you've been through the ranks as a private or whatnot, you have to manage one or two people, you are great at this. There's no work that doesn't involve people, right. you know, expect to move into these autonomous. But anytime you have to involve people, managing people, military is the best. I mean, I mean, good, bad, or ugly, they've experienced this. So every time there's a problem set that involves people, that people are involved in it, you can be rest assured that if you if you have background in military, you will excel in those kind of situations. Awesome. And uh, yeah, that, that's awesome. what I just want to add to it. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. I, I know that you're just, you want to jump in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, you know, what it reminded me of, I, I did a stint uh, of about two years. I was pulled out of a supply chain operation and put in charge of recruiting for uh, a logistics uh, division of, of a company. And um, one of our targets was veterans because we, we were really looking for, you know, people that, that um, had logistics experience. So I got a call from corporate HR and um, the person on the other end said, you know, we've got this veterans hiring initiative in the company. Um, obviously, the the person didn't have a military background, nor did the the recruiting team for the company. Um, but but she said we we've got this new initiative. We've discovered that there are these things called MOSs, which is uh, the the military occupational specialty, okay. basically the military job codes. Uh, Army, Marines, Air Force all use them. Navy does something different, but that's that's an aside. <laughs> um, but but she said we've discovered there are these things called MOSs, and that. It's really helping us a lot with our recruiting because we found there's there's an occupational specialty for nurses and we hire a couple of nurses. So now we know how to sort of slot people into those roles and there are occupational specialties for HR. So we can sort of, you know, slot people into those roles. It makes it easier to, to match it. Um, but you're trying to hire logistics and supply chain folks. Can you tell us 
which MOSs deal with supply chain and, and logistics, moving stuff, ordering stuff, making plans. And there was this silence on my end of the phone. And, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized, like, it's pretty much everybody in the military, right? No, no matter what job you had, it, it, you were either, you know, supporting the movement of stuff, planning the movement of stuff and people, um, being moved with or without your stuff, dealing with stuff that didn't show up when you needed it. Um, and so that for me is actually one of the huge opportunities for, for our supply chain community is to recognize that, you know, somebody had an MOS when they were in the military and, and they may have gotten to choose it, or they may have been told what their job is going to be. Right. right. Um, but regardless of what they actually did in the military as a, a job, whatever their job title or their MOS or, or their assignment was, they got a lot of experience dealing with the things that are the core issues that we struggle with in every part of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, it's a hard bridge to cross, but once you can kind of open up the aperture to that and say, listen, you know, you, you, you it, it almost doesn't matter what base you were stationed at, what job function you had, when you come out of the military and into the civilian world, you can have a completely fresh start in the supply chain. And even if you don't know how to be a warehouse supervisor, for example, we know that you've got experiences that you've dealt with that, that are going to translate, right? That, that mm -hmm. you, you worked with somebody who did this job, you were their customer, you were their supplier, you were their partner. And, and, you're going to have to learn some of the details, but honestly, there's just so many of the jobs that we do in the supply chain that, that are, are different. It's not a one for one match, but it's an easy, um, it's an easy retrain. It's an easy addition of a few skills on top of that experience to make that person an exceptional performer. So we need to, is there a list of those that, oh, there are lots of them. Okay. Every every recruiter at some point has this epiphany where they find the website with all the MOSs listed. Okay. Um, but 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 my you know my tip for you know the recruiters out there is it's good to know what they are because you can have a more intelligent conversation with your candidates. But don't don't bucket people just by right. their job code. That's a good starting point for the conversation, but that shouldn't be a screening criteria. Well, and I think that's a great segue because while we've been talking about this, the thing that keeps coming up in my head is support. Where do we go for support? And so, you know, I think there's some hypocrisy out there when it comes to what a lot of brands are saying and what they do. For example, we see a lot of brands altering the colors of the company logo for Pride Month, going all out with rainbows on social media, but behind closed doors, their employment statistics don't support that public show of support, their policies, their real commitment to the LGBTQIA plus community don't necessarily hold water. And it's kind of the same with vets, right? You'd be hard pressed to find a company who doesn't take to social media on vets.
Veterans Day to thank soldiers for their service, but what are they actually doing to support those people back on home turf? So let's unpack this one because I know this is probably a very big one. So what do we think about that? And are there any organizations that spring to mind that maybe organizations themselves can tap into or maybe veterans can tap into to help them with their transition? Who wants to take this one on first? Zuri, maybe? Oh, I can go first. Um, Yeah, what you just said is, um, you know, even in the military, even not even speaking about the civilian world, my first duty station, I was the only female and the only African-American woman like in my unit. And so that was like a big, like, okay, how do I maneuver like this visibly male dominated? Um, And that's been the same issue even in my transition is I'm usually on the warehouse floor and like the leadership positions. I'm usually the only female and the only African-American female at that and veteran in this big, in this male dominated, um, world. So (laughs) these companies have to realize that, you know, everyone is coming from all these different walks of life. We all identify as different things, but we all bring something special to the table and we have to expand outside of the small thinking that you can only recruit from, you know, these particular universities. I can only recruit from these branches of the military, you know, um, you know, I went to an HBCU. So even that is like another, like, that's why I was like, Oh, we could talk about this forever, but just know that we all have these backgrounds that all made us, made us special and made us who we are. And we all can bring something that's going to bring your, your organization to the next level. And though I can't think of an organization that could benefit um, one of the jobs that I had was with KPMG as a senior social associate in supply chain and their federal advisory branch. And they did such a great job for making sure that they had veterans, just like Daniel spoke to, veterans were recruiting veterans to join. They were make you know, and then once you got in the the branches that you could, you know, they had groups specific for veterans. They had groups specific for African Americans. They had groups specifically for for women, and that's not something that I'd ever seen in any organization that I had worked in. And so to me, that was just like a holy like. If I didn't want to work for myself, I would have stayed at KPMG probably forever, right. <laughs> um, just because it's that that I've never the fact that someone invested that much and wanted everyone to know that they had a safe space. Um, that was extremely impressive to me. So that's just, I think that's an organization that I would, if you're a veteran and that's what you're looking for, look at them or one of the other big fours, because I'm pretty sure they all model. um, I'm pretty sure they all model outside. And I hope I'm not like doing the bad thing by naming a company. No, totally fine. But but yeah, that's always been something I always ran into and always... you know, you had to learn how to work through it. And it was always, it was a struggle at the beginning, but once you find your pocket and you realize where you can kind of shine um, in no matter the situation, the conversation, it really show like, Hey, I might be those things, but wait until you see me like right. really get on here and work and move boxes. Cause I wasn't afraid. I'm not afraid to get on the, you know, push the pallet jacks around the forklift, you know, around the warehouse and do like get down and get dirty. And then people are like, Oh man, like, all right, that veteran, like she, she learned something in the military and it might be all the gods, but she was working harder than we are most, you know what I mean? That, that type of thing, like, Hey, I can be here and I can work just as good as you guys. So don't count me out before you actually give me a chance. 
Yeah, no, and I'm glad that you mentioned KPMG. I didn't know that about them. Um, and I think that it's really nice to know that there's organizations out there that are really shedding a light on this and providing support. And I think for veterans too, knowing where they can take yeah. a look at what their potential next opportunity could be and looking at an organization like that. Adebayo, I know you do a lot of, um, I know that you support a lot of veterans transitioning into civilian life. Is there any particular resources that you would share for veterans or organizations to check well, out? One of the things I do, part of my consulting work is to offer veterans that are into area of supply chain or leadership as you come out to actually do a personal audit of yourself. Because I believe that the process I went through, uh, you have to understand, you know, I always tell people, look, in life and military is not, uh, it's not different. There comes a time we have to part ways, you know, is it that the military part ways with you or you part ways with the military? One of them will come first. And as as some of them, depending on how, you know, fate will have it, it might be on their terms, it might be on your terms, but you have to have it at the back of your mind that at some point, this particular journey is going to end. You know, if you're lucky enough, you get into the area whereby you retire and then you be like, okay, I, uh, there's some options I have here. Some people do not have such options. Some people's military career got cut short and they have to, uh, you know, they have to figure out something else. So, but it's all about preparation. It's all about preparation for me. You know, you're about to leave a world you know very dearly to the world that you think you know, but you don't actually know. You know, so in my, when I started this journey of, you know, when before I got out of the military, it was about five years, I knew that my 15 year mark was like, yeah, this thing is coming to an end. So I started talking about my, started working on my supply chain certifications, started working about, you know, project management. I need to, you know, what, what can I do that I know that I can do in military that I don't even, I don't need to sweat about it and I will be fine to PMP and all this certification. I'm like, wow, wow, this is the same thing I'm doing in the military. It's just a different language, right? So then I realized that this can be done. Then started doing a lot of networking. Then I realized that, you know, so a lot of people do not know. They think they know about the military. They want to support the military, but they just don't know much about it. So I was right. like, okay. So I determined, you know, look, I will take consulting jobs, but I, will, I don't think I'm comfortable about somebody that doesn't know me or my journey or what I've been through to kind of evaluate me like, oh, I don't think you have this. I'm like, what do you know? What do you, you, have a, you don't have a clue what I've been through. You have no idea what I've been through telling me that you don't think I do. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe I don't, because I've been through so many boards in the military. Like, I don't think somebody else be going through me, like boarding me again. It's like, hell to the no. I hope I can sit down a bit. That's okay. <laughs> it's like, hell to the no. It's not going to happen. So I, uh, so I said, look, you know, I'm going to just strike out on my own. I will work out with veterans. You know, I know certain people, you know, veterans are the coolest people to work with. So that you share the common bond. You know, you know exactly what you're talking about. It's cool. I mean, you they're lazy, just like lazy left veterans, just like, you know, the people, I mean, we know who we are, but there are certain attributes. At any given day, they will go the extra length. They'll go the extra mile. And those are the things that you cannot get somewhere else. Like we just have to get this thing done, the job, get the uh, jobs get done. So one of the things I do for people is to help them coach them through the process. It's not something that you take okay. lightly. You know, it's not something you take lightly. You know, like I'm getting out in two years or in a year. Okay, what are you doing? What have you done? What are you planning to do? Are you planning to get a job? What, I mean, there are a lot of opportunities out there, but is that really what you want? You right. know, because you get in some jobs, you realize that wow. So, for example, I got offered a job when I when I first got out. This very high paying job, 
but they want me to be managing six warehouses in the DFW area. I told them they've lost their mind because this is what I've been I've been doing in the military. Do you know how DFW is? All the traffic, one north, south, we're navigating. I'm like, what do you think I am? Like stronger all over DFW on a daily basis. This is not no. I don't want to leave the military. It's like deployment, like deployment in the DFW area because you can't sleep at home. Because you'd be like, what's going on there? You keep finding yourself here, finding yourself. And then you, you get home at night, you're you kind of useless. But the next day you pick it up again. It's like, no, a lot of us retired because we want to have time to ourselves and maybe to do something that we love, not to get back into it and be stronger all over the place. So you have to understand that what you're willing to do and what they're not willing to do. If you want to like, you know what? I just want to, you know, okay. You have to be able to comfortable with that because I know a lot of friends that they took a lot of jobs that they think they're going to like. They're like, no, I'm not doing this. And they, they just quit, you know? So they, you know, the, there's a lot of self-pride. There's a lot of things that goes in it as well. So I, the corporate America is doing the best they can, but it takes it takes two to tango. It takes the the, the vets to be able to understand that this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I'm willing to do, and uh, there's so much. It, it takes flexibility on the organization and, and both of them as well and because research. they. they Exactly. Bending needs to happen for you to be able to accommodate a veteran because a veteran that is that has gone through a lot will have VA appointments. We have all these, you know. You have to be able to accommodate that because you know you have to have all these health issues. And I mean, these are the things that people don't talk about. And we're gonna get we're gonna get into that. I think a little bit later as well because that's one of the questions that I have for you. But I think I I know Daniel wanted to jump in before I sent it over to you. So. So what I do, especially when I've, I've helped people feel that veterans in the organization is to look at the best fit because the best yeah. fit is what really matters. You know, what do you want out of a candidate? Yeah. What do you Can you provide this? And let's have this meeting. There's a lot of meetings that need to happen, making sure that this is the right fit for you. And then you go into wow. it. And, and a lot of people have actually enjoyed that journey. Like, this is what I want to, because there's no, there's no, there's no games here. And we are both adults. You have, yeah. obviously, your aggression as an adult. Let's talk real sense here. This okay. is what I'm willing to offer. This is what I want to do. And this is what I can help you kind of shape and craft. And people are like, well, you know what? I, I like your candidness. I like your honesty. Let's, let's get this done. But, uh, yeah, and that's what has helped is a lot of planning, a lot of conversation with yourself. Like yeah. if you're a lieutenant colonel in the military, in the army, you are yeah. not going to get a lieutenant colonel pro- comparable position because how will you feel for me to bring somebody, a civilian that hasn't gone through basic training into the army? Right. Let's leave the medical profession out of this because they are they are they are they're not they're not really we can't really count them because they do their own thing. But somebody just bring them out and then expect them to function at that lieutenant colonel level, not knowing the army acronym, not knowing what leads to what. It just doesn't work that way. So you have to work your way through it. But at least they're not going to insult you by giving you something that is very. At least they'll right. put you in a very nice place. So on a position that when you've heard enough, not when you've learned enough about the organization you can move forward a lot of people people don't like to to like imagine a lieutenant colonel controlling about about 1800 to 2000 soldiers report i mean i mean that's a lot of power and then somebody regulates you kind of you know you come back and be like and then the the, uh, an high school kid telling you sir you know you know no you're not you know right why you know that work they're like what are you talking to me you know (laughs) so you have to understand 
<laughs> I, I think that that's great. And I think that you're doing so much great work for veterans. And that's one of the things that I wanted to highlight on this episode too, for anybody listening, that um, you are doing that work and can be a really good resource for them. Daniel, I think you want, did you want to jump in here? Because I, I think you had something to add on to what Zuri said before I went to add a bio. Well, yeah, th- thank you for that, Sarah. And so you know, when, when we talk about companies, right, and sort of what works inside of companies and who's doing well, I think about everything as a supply chain, right? And so talent is a supply chain. Um, and, and, and you know, kind of the, the three big steps there are recruiting and then development and then retention, right? Um, and what what I find um, is often the key to making. Uh, honestly, I mean, you, you need to think about um, your strategy in terms of veterans with each of those three stages. But but starting with recruiting, so many companies these days view recruiting as a, a filtering process, right? And they just use their applicant tracking system as a way to filter out all the candidates who who aren't qualified. Right. And then you have a few that make it through. And, and honestly, there's some um, legal and compliance reasons that drive that. But the the thing that I have found is the companies that do a good job recruiting veterans don't just view recruiting as a compliance thing and a, a check the box and a filtering mechanism but also recognize that recruiting is a sales process, right? And, and I think that goes to what Zuri was saying with, with KPMG is that they have recruiters who are actively out there engaging with military candidates, building the brand for the employer, um, building relationships with individual candidates and, and helping to get them excited about roles and helping to direct them to roles that would be a good fit. And that's not to say that everybody that you talk to and everybody that you meet is going to be, be, be a good candidate. Not, not everybody that you talk to when you're doing sales is going to translate into a customer. But I think that's really the key that a lot of companies are missing is viewing recruiting, not just as a, a, a filtering and a compliance function, but really getting serious about building a, a veteran's sales team as right. a part of your recruiting function. Now, then you need to follow it up with, you know, having mentorship as yeah. a part of the development and tools in place to help them bridge that gap and adapt. Um, and you have to you have to keep a close eye on retention um, because, as Adebayo mentioned, you know, it's a common issue. Folks come out of the military, step into a civilian role. They don't fit in. They're not comfortable with it. They feel like there are things missing. And then, you know, they, they move on to, to um, a, another role before the company's gotten their investment back and before really they've had a chance to make a contribution and, and to, to learn from it. That's a that's a really great point, and um, I'm I'm glad that you shared that. But I also want to talk about regular people, so outside of organizations, because we're hearing more and more about supplier diversity programs and supply chain, and we hear about minority-owned businesses like women-owned businesses, black-owned businesses. But personally, I think we hear a lot less about vet-owned businesses. So, are they gaining more recognition? 
Are we bringing veteran-owned businesses into supplier diversity programs? And if we're not, what do we need to do? Or what do veteran you know, entrepreneurs need to do to sort of raise that flag to say, I'm here and I want to be part of your supplier diversity program? Um, Daniel, I don't know if you want to start with this one. Yeah, I'm happy to. And Sarah, I think, you know, I, I do a lot of work with the Diverse Manufacturing Supply Chain Alliance, yeah. which is an organization that's really dedicated to exactly this, to, to um, helping large companies fill their supply chain with highly capable, highly qualified, diverse suppliers. Um, and so, you know, if you look at it from the way that most of the companies that I've worked with view supplier diversity, um, first of all, it, that actually becomes a compliance thing. Big companies that do contracting with the federal government are required to um, to do business with diverse small businesses um, and, and um, get in trouble and, and have penalties or ineligible for contracts if they don't. So supplier diversity needs to be uh, a priority for the big companies. The question is, okay, how do you how do you find diverse businesses? How do you track them? What do you need to do to help with developing those businesses so that to help them be successful so they can be yeah. a good partner? Um, but one of the things that's interesting that I've run into is like if if you have a, a small business, you can count the spend with that business in every diversity category that they um, that they fill. So it you know, we'll say the first category is probably a small business. Now, if it's a woman-owned business, some companies, some large companies will count that spend twice, right? Because they're they're fitting two categories. If it's a veteran woman who owns the business, now you can count that three times. If it's a disabled veteran woman who owns the business, right? And so um this is a huge opportunity for veterans if they understand that instead of just going to get a job, they can pursue starting their own business, buying a business, and then taking advantage and participating in these supplier diversity programs that big companies have. Mm -hmm. um, the challenge is I think a, a lot of veterans don't seriously consider entrepreneurship and business ownership as a path and many of them just get out of the military looking for a job. And yeah. sorry, go ahead out of bio. It's all boiled down, Dan. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you articulated that. I'm um, talking about supply diversity. I've done some, uh, some very interesting work in that aspect as well as I got out. And oftentimes it would be more ideal. You would think uh, veterans are actually in the best position to own business. But to be honest with you, uh, a lot of them just don't want to. Once they get to that, especially for most people that have retired, don't want to be bothered with anything crazy. Right. They just want to, uh, and oftentimes they just want to get a job done and get get into some employment and get a roll off. But I, I know a lot uh, from Syracuse University. They're pumping out money from the government for to train entrepreneurs, not only for. Uh, for the veterans, but also their family members as well, like their spouses and ch children as well. And a lot of companies are also working. There's a lot of nonprofit that are helping uh, veterans to be a business owners. You know, a lot of states are actually pumping money to that. A lot of grants uh, is out there to do that, but encouraging 
uh, and those initiatives with supply diversity or different councils and when I that that people can actually latch on. Uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a veteran-owned business, you know. We have a, at least state certified me some different organizations that way, and it will be good to publish those kind of opportunities out because competition is stiff when it comes to getting business opportunities. It's very very. So having set aside for veterans and often understand what veteran businesses go through to give them that opportunity to be able to compete and be against, I mean, amongst will be a will be a huge plus. And I think I mean, there are a few organizations that have actually focused on the veterans, but there, there need to be more. There need to be more because if we continue to have 200,000 people flowing every day and then the great resignation going on and, you know, with all these vaccine, people are not taking vaccine and they're getting them out of the military, there'll be more, uh, more, I mean, veterans flooding the the the, the workforce, yeah. and there has to be a way to accommodate those, especially their skill set, and be able to accommodate, you know, uh, the lacking as well. So I, I kind of echo what uh, Dan is saying about this, but we need more of it, uh, and they love to encourage more because you know there's one thing about encouraging people to be a business owner. There's another thing doing it because owning a business uh, is not a child's play. Oh, it's I not- know. <laughs> I think, you know, not, regardless of your not, veteran-owned business, I think everybody exactly. in Paul can definitely not, echo what you're saying. <laughs> as, they, as they say in the, in the Ranger Regiment, it's not for the weak or faint-hearted. That's totally uh, so right. Totally you, right. Need, you need to have your P's and Q's before you before you get in there. And the ability to coach people through the process and not leaving them behind so that they can be yeah. well-situated, you know, and to get the business going. I mean, encouraging them to get a few contracts going, that will help them. That will be, that will be you know, morale booster. Yeah. And you know, Zuri, I want you to jump in on this because you're a vet-owned business as well. <laughs> and so have yeah. you been able to take advantage of some of these supplier diversity programs? Are you certified? Was that easy? Uh, so I've applied for the supplier diversity programs. Have they turned into anything? No. Okay. <laughs> not, I'll say not yet. Um, I'm in the process of applying for, you know, the certifications, but there are some hurdles, you know, I had to, uh, even finding out that there is uh, right here in Atlanta, Georgia tech, there's a whole, you know, the government's provided money to Georgia tech, um, to help, um, small businesses who are interested in government contracting. And I, you know, I learned that from another woman owned business. Um, I had no idea it existed. So I think what, um, I think access, like was said previously, is the biggest thing. And just knowing uh, what is out there, because you think, you know, it's like, I know their government contracts set aside for me because of all the categories I fit, but how the heck do you get to them? And <laughs> knowing that there's organizations out there who are being funded to help me, but having to go through so many avenues to get that information, um, it's it's a headache. And even, and I don't know if you guys uh, notice it whenever you're going through those transition briefings not once did anyone say hey there's a seminar over here how to start your own business it's always hey come work for me you know you get the waffle house and all these other places like just come work but just think about how many more veteran-owned businesses there would be if they would just set up that set up a, a forum saying hey here's how you file your business license in whatever state. Here's how you file taxes as a self-employed person. Here's how you, you manage your books. And here's how you get leads for clients. Because that is, it's like now, you know, I've been doing my business full time now since April. And, you know, a lot of the clients that I've gotten thus far is because, you know, I'm going through people, but now it's like, okay, well, how do I get those clients 
myself. <laughs> and then how do I just not like wear you down? Like, you know, you should just work with me because, you know, I've served this country and, you know, I want you to work for me because I'm a value to your organization or working with my company. But it's just a benefit that I happen to be a veteran. I happen to be black and I happen to be a woman. But <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think access, like I said, I keep repeating it because it really is like, that was the most stressful part, knowing that there's all this money out there and no one taught me how to get it. You know, I had to sit down and Google late nights on, on my own and then working with the Georgia Tech and then learning from folks like the three of you all about the opportunities that are out there in order to, to grow the business. It's, so, uh, it's stressful. Because <laughs> you're already here, uh, Yuri. Uh, this is what I do, uh, part of what I do. If you need any assistance, just let me know. Now look at what know. we're doing on Blended. We you know, are bringing well, people together to move business on, on government On government contract, I, I said I was a contracting <laughs> officer before I retired. So uh, the FAR is my, used to be my friend. Uh, so I can, I can point in the right the direction. The FAR is no one's friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. But, uh, awesome. But, but all I, those things. All those things are unnecessary. And to be honest with you, it's 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 mind-boggling when you when you listen to veterans and people, they don't even know how to open their business, they don't know how to actually go after this set aside, they don't know how to position themselves to be able to, you know, acquire this set aside. You know, there's a lot of programs out there, people are in the tech. Thank you. Thank and you, uh, you know, all those things. So it's uh it's it's interesting. It's very, very interesting. Oftentimes, information yeah. is power. And when I say information is power, it is real power. You're like, wow. So you have all these skill set, but the world doesn't know about it. Why? Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I- even finding business credit. It's just like knowing like how to build that up from, you know, like it's the basics that we need. Yeah. Even personal credit, I would, I would assume, right? When you're coming out of it, because that's what you need to get business credit. And yeah. so I want to go back uh, to Sarah. I, I, I want to jump in and throw in an, another plug real quick. So um, there, there are lots of organizations, both um, government and nonprofit that are designed to help um, veterans get jobs and start companies. One that I've been involved with, though, that I think is a little bit different is there's an organization called Patriot Boot Camp, which is sponsored by Techstars, and they get some funding from USAA and some others. But Patriot Boot Camp is, uh, I, I think, a, a, a three-day workshop for folks that are for veterans and spouses that are interested in starting venture capital-based tech businesses. Um, so, you know, it, for, we tend to be in, in, you know, more of a traditional small business consulting services sort of space, but for folks that have an idea for, you know, creating the next PayPal or Facebook, um, Patriot Bootcamp is a, a great organization to learn about how that world of venture capital works and start building some of those connections with leaders in that community. I love that. Such amazing resources. And this is what we need, right? We need a space to be able to talk about these topics and share resources. And one of the other things that I want to, I want to sort of um, go back to something Adebayo said, and this is, this will be one of our last conversations until we get to the, the very last question, which I'll ask you all to provide one tangible takeaway. But Blended is all about creating safe spaces to have those conversations, right? And we've talked a lot about the workplace because obviously we want to try and bring the most value to the listeners in the short time that we have on the show. But before we get to the end, 
I want to touch on health because we can't do justice to this huge issue at this time, but it wouldn't feel right to skip past it because we're not just talking about vets missing a few industry certifications or adjusting to corporate culture. When it comes to re-entering the workforce, we're potentially talking about physical implications, disabilities, and huge mental health implications, trauma, PTSD. So how would you suggest that maybe workplaces or even your friends and family potentially tackle these difficult subjects, maybe normalize the conversations? And then when it comes to workplaces, what kind of policies, procedures, education, or maybe training do we need to have in place to really help them feel welcome if there are some of these challenges involved? Um, who wants to go first? Uh, Zuri, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing for me after transitioning is, is that I, un as uncomfortable as it may have been for me and for my manager at the time, I made sure to communicate, like say, Hey, I do suffer from PTSD. I do suffer from anxiety, you know, and that's anxiety from, you know, before the military and during. So, you know, there are going to be times where I just, I need time, <laughs> And so I just wanted, so I just want you to understand that now. So it, it took some responsibility on my part to communicate if I was having a moment where I needed to step away or, um, or communicate if I was dealing with any type of, you know, negative thoughts, suicidal thoughts or anything like that. I took it upon myself to say, to communicate that. And I've kind of tried my best to either tell leadership or tell an employee or a, a coworker that I, you know, I got comfortable with saying, Hey, I do suffer from these things. And so just try my best to communicate. Um, secondly is I know healthcare, like you just said, it is a big deal, but, um, whenever we're, the organizations are coming up with these medical plans, like really consider, you know, the uh, accessibility to counseling services for, you know, not specifically service members for everyone to ensure that that's included in these service plans, because that is, ends up being a barrier for a lot of folks is I have no one to talk to professionally. How am I supposed to talk? I don't even know how to talk to my family about right. any issues that I might be having because, you know, you know, there are other veterans who don't come from a military background. So, you know, I was lucky enough where I could talk to my parents about being deployed, you know, because they knew firsthand what that experience would be like and how the effect that it has on you and the rest of the family. So um, just accessibility, I think, is the biggest. And then, of course, a little bit of self-care, like find those things that you love. Like I, I love ruck marching. That was always my favorite thing to do. I go hiking at the drop of the at a whim now. And it's just like, I, I like that. I like the, I like to be in the trees. I like to have my backpack. I won't carry a rucksack of course, but I have my backpack and I'll put, you know, my water bottle and stuff and I'll just go for a couple of hours and I come back and I'm ready to like conquer anything. So it's just nice. taking just finding those spaces where you just feel comfortable, where you can just let go and then come back and then just conquer whatever it is ahead of you. Such amazing advice. Thank you so much. Daniel, did you want to did you want to go next and then we'll go to Adebayo? And I just want to say, Zuri, you definitely chose the right branch of the military. <laughs> I did. <laughs> um so uh, I I think I I do think it's an important conversation and I and I, I think you know having a safe place to talk about it is important. Um you know, the, the reality of the stuff that folks in the military do is um, very often 
there's a potential that you're getting exposed to to things and you're you're put in environments or or you're forced to do things that um, can have short-term or long-term consequences to both your physical and mental health. And there are things that you just really don't don't deal with on a regular basis in the civilian world, but actually end up being pretty common for veterans. And, you know, I I think veterans listening will will probably understand exactly what I'm saying. And I I think um, a lot of civilians listening might kind of scratch their heads and go, what, you know, what does he mean by that? But, you know, um, I'll, I'll use the example right now of the debate that we're having around COVID vaccines. When I was deployed in the Middle East, we got vaccinated against anthrax with an experimental vaccine. It wasn't a question. It wasn't an option. It was, you're here. That's a threat. You're going to get vaccinated. Um, and, you know, the, the truth is we kind of, we, we didn't know then, and I don't know that we know today what the long-term effects of that were. Um, there are lots and lots of people that served um, during the Gulf War that have complex health issues that are very difficult to explain, that are still being studied, that a civilian doctor is likely to not know where to start with. Right. But a doctor that cares for veterans all the time would recognize the pattern and say, yeah, this looks like, you know, what what we call Gulf War syndrome, mm-hmm. right? A pattern of, of unexplained illnesses that, you know, it, it's it's quite obvious that the illness is there, right? It but but we're not quite sure what what caused it. Um, and then you know we get into the psychological stuff, right? Of you know depending on what you did and where you were and 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 how that affected you. Um, I I give um, huge chops to Zuri for having the courage to have that conversation. I don't yeah. I don't know that I would would have the guts to have that mm-hmm. uh, talk so so frankly, and I don't know many people who have. Um, what I've what I've found is um, being connected with veteran uh, with fellow veterans, both sort of um, you know through a, a personal slash professional network, and on the healthcare side from the Veterans Administration and for um, the the veteran nonprofit community, Disabled American Veterans, American Legion, some of those organizations. That's really been the key for me because you walk in the door of those places and everybody gets who you are and where you come from and you've got it in common. And and sort of when you walk out of that door into the civilian world, um, there's people don't understand and and um, there's no reason for them to. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess, you know, for, in terms of you know my recommendations to to veterans and to non-veterans, I think for for veterans the key is find your tribe, right? Stay connected to other veterans and do what Adabio is doing is you know um, help other people that are making the journey too, because yeah. the more you give, the more you get back. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the resources are there. Find them, plug into them. Don't don't be afraid to to use it because that's what they're there for. Um, and then for the non-veterans, I, you know, almost the, the best advice I can give is, you know, just know that there's stuff going on that you're, you, you haven't experienced. And so, um, it's hard to understand, but, but that's not unique, right. In, in that 
anybody that you deal with has experiences that you can't relate to and you can't understand. Yeah. So it's really just about being empathetic and being a good human being and and listening if somebody's telling you that that um, they need something um, and and helping them figure out where to find it. Yeah, such such amazing advice. Add a bio. What would you add on to what Zuri and uh, Daniel have? have so I'm said? gonna I'm gonna just uh, piece together what uh, Zuri and Dan said and kind of spin in a different perspective. Uh, I haven't been uh, just recent. I mean, three years a recent uh, retiree, and having gone through the process of you know mental health care myself uh, with PTSD and having having to have that you know there's always a saying that you cannot be insulted unless you allow it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you, you cannot make me feel shameful of who I am unless how I allow it. And I think that that uh, that mentality is changing because but I can remember years ago, you, mental health is something very stigmatized. But now that is now, is you know, there's no retribution to it no more people you can talk openly about it and you can't really make people feel because it's not like i want to i want to make myself the way i am now it was just situation that found myself find myself uh in this particular situation and that's what the outcome is it and like like dan said you know military uh if if a veteran is a very special being, and I'm trying to make, I'm not trying to prop us up for what we're, I mean, actually we are, but I mean, <laughs> just, you know, because it takes, I mean, I think what this percentage is less than 1% of the population serve in the military. And for whatever reason, you raise up your right hand to swear to the constitution that you want to take on this, for whatever reason it is. And, and like Dan said, you would be, has to do things in defense of a nation that oftentimes most people will not do. And oftentimes it exposes you to a lot of dangers that you will not know that, that has far-reaching consequences. Right. You know, and then at the at the outcome of it all, as this Thomas saying, only the soldier knows the end of the war. That particular, particular quote is very, very loaded because when the world is settled and done, the wall is never handing for a soldier or for right. a sailor or for a marine. You still have to carry the body to your to your homes, and you still have to deal with it. And these are some of the nuances about understanding the awful concept of what veteran is all about, because their journey is beyond the uniform. Their journey continues to the end of their lives, depending on if you're being plagued by different illnesses or injuries. is is a is a is a continuum is a is a continuous is a continuous process. So I. I will ask people that are non-veteran uh, to, like Dan said, to 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 learn a listening here, to be able to listen and have been empathetic in the process. Because uh, what the country has asked of them is not something that everyone can give. You know, uh, it's a lot of sacrifice, a life of service. Mm-hmm. And I say, you guys, but you guys get paid, yes, but it's not comparable to what is what we've given in the process. Is it mm-hmm. the time spent? Is it you know? You can't even begin to. To kind of you know itemize it, so I would do the best you can do is to actually uh, hear, uh, learn and listen here, and it's okay. It's okay to 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 be who we are, and I think most veterans need to know that as well. It's okay to discuss your situation, whatever it is. It's okay for people to understand it. At least you put it out there. This is who I am. This is what I've been through, and you know, take me as I am, or just leave me. Right. You know, oftentimes, I mean, I mean, oftentimes because. I mean, like I said, when you hire a veteran, there's a lot that comes with it. Beside the all the skill set, 
but we also have to deal with the soft side as well. I mean, there's a lot of us that have gone through 20 years of prolonged war, protracted war, has done so much stuff to so many people. Some take it, took it differently than the other. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand that. And I'm saying this because of a lot of people that I've coached, that I've mentored in the process of, you know, and through this process and how to deal with these uh, mental health issues, other illnesses that are accomplished as well. Yeah. So I believe we give the opportunity, like Jury said, to talk about it. A safe space to talk about it actually goes a long way. Ability to have people around. For me, I've always have my military network, though I've long gone, but I'm still well connected with them because I'm still well, I'm mean, just very, very grounded because they, yeah. they, we understand each other. When I talk, they, they, they get it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for for the non-civilians to be able to provide as much as they can, as much that as much as the management will allow them, opportunities for veterans to be able to you know talk about this as well yeah. and to, be able to share their stories because it, it matters a lot when you're able to share your stories, your experience with people, and are willing to listening. You don't yeah. know how healing that process is. Yeah. Uh, let me go through it. Yeah. So lean lean into understand is what I what I usually say, and not lean into answer. Right. You just want to lean into to do a little bit more understanding. And thank you for sharing that you had or have PTSD and, and that you are living with that, because I think people also resonate when they hear that others are going through some similar things. All right. So we've got time for our last question, which is what is one tangible takeaway? So just one word. One thing that you would like the audience to leave this conversation with, we unpacked a lot. So I know one word is a lot to ask, but I'm going to ask you anyway. So at a bio, one word, what would you like the audience to walk away with? That's like an NCT question. I mean, <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of, so if everything we've talked about, you just want one word. One thing that they're going to walk away from this conversation with. Understanding. Understanding, yes. I love that. I love that. Thank you, Daniel. Opportunity. Ah, there's lots of opportunity. Zuri, what's your one word? Inclusion. Yes, we love inclusion here, especially on Blended. Well, thank you so much to Adebayo, Zuri, and Daniel for joining me today. There's no doubt it's a complex issue. We're talking about cultural differences, mental and physical health implications. There's so much that as civilians, we just don't even take into consideration. So I feel a bit emotional if I'm honest. You know, we've had a very, very good, honest conversation. And I thank you for actually really leaning into a conversation like this one and for helping to open my and many other professionals eyes to the realities of veteran life and the many things that we can do to repay your sacrifice and ensure that you continue to live full meaningful lives and bring that value that we all know you have to the workplace as always when we collaborate and embrace our differences we all do better don't forget that you can follow blended we now have our own linkedin page so go and follow the blended LinkedIn page. Make sure to reach out to Zuri, Adebayo, and Daniel, who are all active on LinkedIn as well. And thanks again to our sponsors, Apex, for helping to make the show happen. We really appreciate you and everything you do for us. And don't forget to join us again next time for episode 15 of Blended, where when we'll be tackling more key issues around diversity, inclusion, and equality with honesty, humor, and most importantly, passion. Thank you guys all for joining me on the show today. Thanks a lot. Thank you.